Morning. Uh, it's great to uh, welcome students with us. If it's your first Sunday in Oxford, or your first one or two Sundays in Oxford, especially warm welcome to you. Um, I dimly remember first arriving in Oxford as a student, and I remember arriving with those sort of mixture of hopes that you have on arriving amongst these dreaming spires, uh, to the effect of hoping that academic stuff would go well, um, dream of that being to get a first, and uh, hoping that, well actually I already had a girlfriend by then, who am I married to now, so I didn't have that worry. It's occasionally worrying, but anyway, um, <laughs> we won't go there today. Um, and then some other kind of achievement, aside from the academic stuff, um, whether that's getting a blue in sports or whatever. I want to say very clearly at the outset, of, of, if it is your first Sunday in Oxford in church as a student, my own experience was most of that stuff went really well. I did get a first. Um, <laughs> it's really good. Yeah, thank you. You can clap. That's good. And the thing that I did outside of the academic stuff was I was president of OIQ for a year. It's all very satisfying and... Um, I learned some things which would lead me to make some different choices about that now, uh, to be honest, but it was, I learned a huge amount. Um, in some ways, could be perceived as really quite successful in those things, but the reason that I'm stood here today is because the thing that was best in my three years as an undergraduate was church life. I got to the end of my time as a student, I went home to live with my parents, and at some point I realized that I'd made a mistake, and that what God had given me in this particular church family, as it happens, was worth moving back to Oxford for, and here I am. And my prayer for anyone that's just arrived in the city is that whatever you're hoping for from your time in this city, uh, may there be wonderful achievements, and may you give God the glory... Uh, but may he provide you with church family, whether it's this one or another one. I know this one will work, because <laughs> it worked for me, and it's, like, it's working for people in front of me. There are other churches, uh, and we're all one church, but may God provide you in the same way with that wonderful connection to church family that will sustain you not only for three years, but for a lifetime. As um, Andy said, we are in a series, uh, we entitled it A Growing Church, the book of Thessalonians, the first Thessalonians that we're looking at uh, is all about that, and um, we've particularly um, focused on three kinds of growth that we're praying for, and each week as we look at the scripture, we're finding some other things that are there that God also promises to grow in us, but these are three things that are sort of categories of prayer for growth that keep coming back. One of those is our personal growth towards maturity. Uh, God promises us as Christians a maturity that is fruitful, and we want to pray towards that maturity towards that personal fruitfulness. There's also a prayer for growth in extent, by which we mean uh, something interesting going on. Lord, we pray for the healing of that system <laughs> in Jesus' name. There we go. You can see if God answers my prayers. Uh, well, he does, but maybe not quite all. Anyway, you'll see, won't you? Um, the growth in extent um, to, to different sorts of people than we been to before, different parts of our city, uh, different colleges in the University uh, of Oxford, and uh, different parts of Oxford Brooks University too, different workplaces, uh, and a growth in extent. And there needs to be a growth in numbers, because God is worth more than all of the worship that he yet gets in this city on a Sunday morning or other times in the week. He's worth more. There's more voices. Um, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Well, there's one or two places occasionally in the life of the city where a thousand people gather to sing his praises, but we want to see more of that. And there's a growth in numbers as God draws people to himself for which we're praying. Uh, last week, we looked at a chunk of 1 Thessalonians 2 and 3, which were about growing amidst opposition, growing in a settled faith that is resilient in the face of life's challenges, and growing in love. Uh, this week, it's going to be uh, some other things in which to grow, but the focus of the few verses we have this morning is very much on prayer, because the verses that we have are not a teaching, but a prayer. So do turn uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we have verses, there you go, oh, there we are, verses 9 to 13 as our text this morning. 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 9 to 13. Uh, Paul has just explained 
something of the story of his interaction with the church in Thessaloniki and his love for them. And then verse 9 says, how can we thank God enough for you? What a great thing. Wouldn't you like someone to pray that for you? I just can't think of enough ways to thank God for you. You're great. What a wonderful thing. I'd love to be a member of this church in Thessaloniki in heaven for all eternity. You know that bit in the Bible? You read that bit? That was us. Paul, Apostle Paul, great with words, wrote chunks of the Bible, couldn't find enough words to thank God for us. Well, we are likewise loved by Christ and given his grace and glory. So anyway, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what's lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. Paul's writing this from Athens in southern Greece to Thessaloniki in the north of Greece. Clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. We're going to pause several times going through these verses in detail and pick up the kind of praying that Paul did and pray it right now for our lives, for our church, and for the people around us. Before we do that, I just want to comment on uh, the object of Paul's prayer. That is, to whom does Paul pray? Because, oh, we'll not worry about that. Um, the object of Paul's prayer is this. Our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus. I should say our Lord Jesus on the PowerPoint Um, It's a bit of a convoluted phrase, isn't it? A little bit complicated and just is helpful to explain because there's something that we can learn from this. You know, um, you may have uh, Muslim friends and you may be familiar with the Islamic shahada. That is the phrase that you have to say in order to be a Muslim, which is, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. It's the key phrase in Islam. In Judaism, there's a similarly key phrase. It's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's a proclamation of there being one God to follow. It's called the Shema. Key in Judaism. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so those words would have resonated in the hearts and the minds of Jews in Paul's time, the key thing at the heart of their faith. And what happens in this little prayer is that Paul connects these differing things with God as Father and Jesus as Lord, where there had been a strict monotheism, that is, understanding and belief that there is one God Paul takes those different words used at the heart of the Jewish faith to describe God as Lord, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And he takes those two words and he applies them to the Father and to Jesus and says, Father is God and Jesus is Lord. And here's an amazing thing that you don't get in coming out in English translations. But you know, um, uh, you can... You can pray either to someone or to a group of people. Here, the phrase in Greek where it says, in this prayer, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way. That word clear, clear the way, the prayer to clear the way. In the Greek, it's not in the plural, as in would you both, God, Father, and Lord Jesus Christ, would would they clear the way for me, but it's a singular. Would he, God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, would he clear the way, praying to God and Father, 
Lord Jesus Christ as one, as one person. And you may uh, know that 1 Thessalonians is understood to be the very earliest of all the letters of the New Testament. And so here we have a very, very early Christian prayer in which Paul is starting to pray in a Trinitarian way to the Father and to Jesus, and not as two alternate persons, but as one God and Lord. Sometimes you come across people who are struggling to process how this Jesus, who was man, is God. And this is a key text in helping us understand that Jesus is God. Actually, the Father, Jesus is Lord, Father is God. They are one And indeed, we could talk with reference to other passages about the Holy Spirit. We have a God who is Trinity, three in one, one in three. One plus one plus one equals one. And there are some limits to our understanding. But since God is infinite and we are not, it's only to be expected that there will be some aspects of his character that we will struggle to fully comprehend. But this is a revealed truth that comes out in this prayer. So much for the object of Paul's prayer. What about the content of Paul's prayer? Well, his first prayer is to go to Thessaloniki. And given that that's a picture of a beach near Thessaloniki, I get that prayer. (laughs) Now, you might say that the best thing to do with Paul's prayer that he prays that God would clear the way to get to Thessaloniki, you might say, I'll pray that. Lord, I want to go to Thessaloniki, clear the way, give me the finance. Uh, I want to go to... There's something else that Paul's after here. Paul isn't interested in the beaches. Well, he might have been, but he was in Athens, and there's some pretty good beaches near Athens as well. So that's not his driving motivation. It's the people that he's left. He was forced to flee the city of Thessaloniki, and... There are people there whom he loves. And so whilst you may want to pray for access to a great beach, and there would be no bad thing in praying that, the lesson for us to take from this verse is that we can pray to be reunited with those from whom we've become distanced. Now, I've been a pastor long enough to know that pretty much everybody here will have suffered some sort of fractured relationship. And that even as I say this, it is likely that someone specific or maybe even several people spring to mind as people for, you, for whom you have a longing to reconnect, but you can't see how it's going to happen. And whether it's distance or persecution or falling out, we can pray. You know, Paul was praying to be reunited with loved ones. And... We're going to pause even now and pray for that, for ourselves and the people in our lives with whom we need to be reunited. Uh, It took about five years. We, We read in Acts chapter 20 of when Paul was able to get back to this city and meet these people again whom he loved. It took five years, in Paul's case, for this particular prayer to be answered but he prayed it with confidence that it would be answered. And we can pray with the same confidence today and just unlock something in the purposes and plans of God that we would not remain estranged. It's a wonderful verse in in 1 Samuel where, uh, sorry, in 2 Samuel, where um, someone is sent to King David who has become estranged from his son Absalom to say, Look, we've got to see this sorted for the sake of the kingdom. But it's a wonderful little phrase. God devises ways for those who have been estranged from him to return. And you might not be able to think of any way in which a particular relationship could be made up. A distance could be bridged. But God, who is infinitely creative, (laughs) devises ways. Um, So we're going to take a moment's quiet. And if someone has come to your mind in that way, take a moment to pray. Say, God, this is rubbish. (laughs) And my heart is with another person and we're distanced. God, would you please, would you please intervene? 
If there is no one that comes to mind in that way for you, well, praise God. Um, Why don't you pray for those who are refugees in our city who have been uh, removed from their loved ones in the country from which they've come and need our prayers? I'm just taking a moment now to be quiet and each individually to pray for that need. Father, I want to add another prayer that especially for those for whom even this act of praying is difficult and painful, that you would grant those amongst us the grace to continue praying to be reunited with loved ones, to continue to hold that wound before you in prayer, and to seek for your kingdom to come in a ministry of reconciliation and where needed for distance to be bridged, boundaries and borders to be done away with in order that there might be peace. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul prays to travel the distance and to get to Thessaloniki. Uh, He also prays for an increase and overflow of love. This theme of love just keeps coming up. Last week, we finished by praying that God would bind us together in his love in an enduring way. Here, Paul prays about love in a different way. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Paul has already expressed his own strong commitment, the cords of love that bind him to these brothers and sisters. And he knows that they love him too. And he's been able to thank God for all of that love and that connection. But he prays for more because he knows that God's plan is not simply for us to be at peace and filled up so that our tank is sufficiently full to get through life. He knows that God's plan for us is to be given an abundance, something that abounds beyond the boundaries that we might otherwise expect, something that goes beyond, not because we're stretched thin, but because he's given us more than we need. There's a strong biblical theme of God giving to us so that we've got plenty to give away, not giving away out of tiny little scraps, but abundantly enjoying the provision of God, and out of that, it being natural for things to overflow. There's a little bucket here, which is full to the brim, but overflow. Anything else that touches that bucket is going to overflow. It's not going to make the bucket any more full, because it's full already. I wonder how you would currently describe your own spiritual life. (laughs) Imagine it as a bucket, if you will. How full is it? Is your praying for more from God for yourself personally always at the level of, Lord, I feel empty, fill me up? Bone dry. Just a a drop, Lord, because I'm bone dry. God wants us to live life full. I learned this from an Indian friend of mine that he said, you know, we um, Christian leaders have a tendency to uh, live life fairly empty. And then when we're approaching something like praying for healing or preaching a sermon or some other thing that we think is going to require God's help, then we kind of pray up our spiritual state to be ready for that and then give out in that moment so we're feeling a bit empty and used again, and then carry on living that way until such time as there's something else to do, and then stoke ourselves back up and so go on through life. That is absolutely counter to what John shared with us earlier, that we don't have to wait for the difficult thing before we turn to the Lord. And we don't only enjoy the life of God in the moment to see us through, but rather we can live life filled up in an ongoing way, live with our tank, with our bucket full, with others enjoying the overflow from that. Does this seem like a far-off thing? 
Paul prays, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow. Increase and overflow. God's well able. In fact, Paul is praying here for a spring to open up inside us. Does that remind you of anything that Jesus said? I'm sure he promised that, didn't he? He did. He promised that there would be streams of living water in us. Paul says, well, that's the normal Christian life. That's not just the blessed few. It's the normal Christian life. Streams filled up, overflowing. We are an overflowing people. Just yesterday here in this building, there were two things going on. One was that the Lees Community Church had a ladies' day here. It's actually called the Divas' Day. I don't know what they did. They didn't tell me. But what was delightful to me was that there's a church that was planted by this church about 15 years ago, and they are growing through new birth. They have people that are not Christians coming in amongst their meetings. They have people who have joined church, living together, not married, hearing teaching about marriage, getting married, and establishing their families on firm footing. They have just loads, they have, ah, they have loads of good stuff going on. And I found delight in the fact, I remember, I don't know how many of the rest of you remember this, November 2002, praying for a group of people in the other hall that we have, because we hadn't got this one ready for use yet, praying, sending them out, entrusting them to God. And there they are, 15 years later, an overflow from this church, continuing to overflow in what is well understood to be the most demanding part of the city in which to live and, and to minister to others. There's an, we are an overflowing people. Uh, the other thing that happened here was a day conference on gender and sexuality. And I didn't know how it would go. I think it went well in the end. Uh, the, the, but um, two-thirds, three-quarters of the people that were here were here from other churches, in, able to enjoy an overflow of the things that we've learned as a church about how better to welcome people into the church for whom gender and sexuality are in any way complicated, who are not simply heterosexual and cisgendered. And if you're not quite sure what that last word means, you should have come yesterday. <laughs> There's more. You know, we've got the turning thing going on every month. It's coming up this Friday. There'll be an opportunity to worship here and then to go out on the streets of Oxford and just tell people the gospel. It's so not complicated. Um, you know, we, for years, we've wanted to see more and more people receive Christ and be born again. It's like a number of us have got to the point where, oh, for goodness sake, let's just go find some people we've never met before and tell them the gospel and see what happens. Like, doesn't it work? That's what that's all about. And do you know what? It kind of does people are touched and changed and um, we're going to make a fresh effort to gather the testimonies of what God's been doing through that to make sure we give him the glory and don't miss out on that but one of the things that we've regularly done on those Friday evenings ahead of going out is place our hands on our hearts and pray and I want to invite you to do this now there's a you see Paul prays May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours do for you. And if you're like me, you're reading the NIV, it's like it, it reads the way it's translated, like it's a whole new prayer in verse 13. There's a full stop. And then it says, may he strengthen your hearts. But the Greek more accurately says, just as our, ours does for you, so that your hearts may be strengthened. There's a link. God pours his love into us and it strengthens our hearts. That's what we've experienced in those encounter evenings as part of the turning is God filling our hearts and through that strengthening them. So just keep your hand on your heart and I'm going to pray. I'm just going to pray that God would touch our hearts in that way. Our God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you send us the Holy Spirit to make your love known to us. And we say, Holy Spirit, come, come quickly. Come touch our hearts. Whether we feel bone dry or somewhat filled up, we thank you that, that our, there's no limit. There's just no limit to what you will pour into us. Because your plan is for us to overflow. So come and touch our hearts 
right now. Fill us, put wind in our sails, cause a stream of living water to open up. And I just want to speak in Jesus' name to any blockages that exist, like blocked up wells. Pray in Jesus' name for those blockages to be removed and for the spiritual life that is the inheritance of every child of God to well up now in Jesus' name. And I pray for deliverance from um, a sense of just getting by and there never being enough into a season of more than enough, of abundance and overflow in the lives of every single one of us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to sit down for a moment because this overflow is not only something for our own hearts, but it's something that's expressed through us as a community together. And Andy's going to lead us in a little bit more praying along those lines. Yeah, we're just going to pray for... I've got four particular sort of aspects of our corporate overflow I'd like us to pray for. Um, some of these people don't know about this yet, so sorry about this. Um, um, Kirsty's Kirsty's coming. Keith, could you come, please? Simon? And uh, we're going to pray for our missional communities. Across the city, we have a number of missional communities where we... Our, what we say for them is we want communities where heaven comes to earth, communities where God's presence goes, spills out. That's, so we're going to pray for those. I'm going to pray for those. Kirsty's going to pray for... Community night, which is something we're starting this week here, and she'll explain that. Simon's going to pray for the turning, which Steve's just mentioned, and Keith's going to pray for Tyndale. Um, chair of governors at Tyndale, weren't you, I think? So Tyndale's, Tyndale's a school we've started in the east of the city with a Christian ethos. Get another overflow. We're, and in our prayer, we're not going to explain a huge amount. We're going to pray for these four aspects of our community corporate life, that it overflows into this great city we're part of. Um, and I think I'm going to start, and then give you time to think about it since I haven't given you any warning. Um, Father, thank you for our missional communities. Thank you for those communities. Thank you for the love that's in those communities, love for you, love for each other, and love for neighbors, Lord. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that that strap line, communities where heaven come to earth, it wouldn't just be a nice soundbite, Lord, but it would be true. I want to pray that 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 sense of God's life, heaven's life, heaven coming down. We prayed it earlier, but heaven coming, your kingdom coming would be true in each of those communities, Lord, that they would be places of community and worship and overflow into the lives of those around them, their friends, neighbors, work colleagues. Lord, that those communities would be genuinely missional communities, both community and missional. God, in the name of Jesus, we pray for that. We pray that heaven would come to each of those communities. I pray for each of the leaders of those communities. You'd give them fresh faith, fresh focus, fresh vigor, fresh clarity um, of what they're doing in those groups. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Father, I want to thank you uh, for the privilege that you've given us to be involved uh, in a school community where you want to be at work. And Lord, where you are at work. Lord, I want to thank you for the, the caliber of people that you've given us to work in that place. The quality of uh, the staff and, and, and the, the heart and the spirit of the parent community that works together to make that school already a very special place where children uh, are being nurtured and, and educated and are growing. Lord, I want to thank you that it's a community of restoration. I want to thank you that... There are many people who would give testimony to arriving in that place feeling broken and are now feeling restored and whole. And I want to thank you, Lord, it's a community where people are exposed to something more than just the world of education and where they touch something of you and your nature and your life, Lord God, and are now saying, I want to find out more about this God who uh, is behind in some way all of this. I don't understand it, but I know there's more, and I want to find out more. And there are people going on journeys with you, Lord, to find relationship with you. I want to thank you, Lord, that there are children in that place who know you, who are themselves full of the life of God, and I want to share that with their, their peers and friends around. I want to thank you, Lord, for the adults who are part of that community, who know and love you and want to share the love of God with those around. Many lives that are broken, many lives that are hopeless, that you want to bring hope and restoration to. And Father, we want to pray that you would increasingly make Tyndale to be known, Lord God, as a place where you are at work. 
that people recognise there is something about that school community that is different. And it's different, Lord God, because you are in a remarkable way at work amongst that community, bringing restoration to people's lives and beyond that, taking them into relationship with you for eternity. Lord, with the adults and with the children there, we pray for that increase of your kingdom in Jesus' name. Um, before I pray for community night, I just want to tell you a little bit about it. Um, the King Center is, we're hoping to be a beacon in our community, and we've always wanted that. And a few months ago, we had a brainstorming evening of how we could achieve this, and we got a long list of things that we could do. Um, and it became clear that it would be great to do it all on one night. So three missional communities have come together, and once a month on a Tuesday, we're going to be running a cafe with board games and tea and cake. We're running a sewing club, and we're doing an English language um, social for those who want to practice their conversational English. Um, we're linking in on a night that um, brownies and guides and rainbows are already in here, so we're hoping to connect with them as well. Um, and we see it as a place where people can come and share skills and build real community. So I'll just pray for that. Thank you, Jesus, that after lots of thinking and praying and brainstorming, that this is actually a reality, Lord. Thank you that we can open our doors to our community, to the people on our doorstep, and welcome them into this building. Lord Jesus, as John was saying earlier, we can't do this in our own strength. Lord, we can only do it with your strength. And Father, I pray that as people come into this building, we would love them with your love, that um, it would be a place of peace, of refuge, and of real building community, that there would be um, real honest, open relationships, that it wouldn't just be a place where you come and have a cup of coffee, but that you would leave um, feeling like you've connected with people. We pray, pray that it's a peace where lonely people can come in and find relationship and friendship. Um, and yeah, Lord, I pray for the three missional communities that are involved in this, Lord, that you would give us your strength, that you would give us your wisdom, and um, that you would just bless this night, Father God. I pray that the people that come in for ra rainbows and brownies and guides, that they would find community here, and that it would be the start of so many more exciting things. Amen. And Father, we thank you that we've had the chance to speak to more than a couple of thousand people who have been in this city in the last six months and tell them that you love them and that you've got an amazing plan for their lives. We pray, Lord, that this coming weekend that you would anoint us with your spirit because we know that we can go out on Saturday morning and speak your word, but it needs your spirit to have moved in us and to be moving in the lives of the people we would speak to, Lord. And we pray that you would give us an ongoing momentum in speaking your word to people, not just those occasional Saturday mornings, but in our lives, Lord, would you give us boldness and an openness to tell people the truth about how good you are and what you've done for our lives, Lord. Pray for that boldness and for you to be working in the lives of those we meet, that you would be preparing them and, and, and drawing them to yourselves, as you say in your word, Lord. Amen. Uh, thank you, all of you. Th let's just be praying through the week in an ongoing way about our church as a whole. There's a, you can look at our website to find out what's going on. Some of you had an annual report a few weeks ago. That's a prompt to prayer. Or there's a leaflet on our communities on the welcome desk. All of those are just ways of seeing what else is going on. I just encourage you to pray for our community that we overflow into this city. Excellent. Right. Paul then praise for holiness and i've lost my page there we go okay he as i said it, it's actually all one prayer that, uh, that the lord would make their hearts increase and overflow in love and through that strengthen their hearts that they may be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father. Something here about blameless and holy hearts. What does holiness mean? It's one of those words that we can sometimes use and lose track of what it means. Simply, holiness is about how different God is to us. 
It's about he's so very different. As the prophet Isaiah wrote, as the heavens are higher than the earth, his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts. God, our Lord, is infinite. He has no limits. We're very limited, all kinds of limits. Um, We can only be in one place at a time. If we try to be present in more than one place at a time, we simply spread ourselves thin and are not fully present anywhere. Whereas God is fully present everywhere. All the time. And God knows everything. What makes this most obvious, to me, what brings this home to me, is that means God has never learnt anything. Because he's never had any ignorance to overcome. God knows everything. And we don't. Our knowledge is so very limited. God has all power. And we sometimes wish that we did, but it's just as well we don't. But amazing that he does. And with that power, he has all authority. That is the absolute right to exercise that power. Because he made all things. I don't know how you feel when you read in Jeremiah of God being the potter and us being the clay. Whether somehow that makes you feel a little bit less than you'd like to be. (laughs) That God can simply mold us. But he is our maker. The story we have in Genesis is of God taking the dust of the earth and molding it into humanity. And... He molds us. to. He's our maker. In all of these ways, God is utterly different to us. And so Paul prays that our hearts would be strengthened so that we'd be blameless and holy. Um, Blameless means that we are beyond criticism, that people cannot come and point the finger at us. There's nothing we've so obviously done wrong that somebody could criticize us. But God's holiness goes well beyond that. This is about God's wondrous otherness. And then astonishingly, rather than just reflecting on how different he is from us, God calls to us and says, be holy as I'm holy. And I I still don't fully understand that. But what I do know is that the Holy Spirit will come and invade our innards, strengthening us, cleansing us, and transforming us from the inside out. We don't make ourselves holy, but in receiving Christ, he sends the Holy Spirit to make us holy. As we were praying before this morning, uh, there was a clear question that came out in our praying, which is for a question for all of us is, do you know that you are clean and right with God? Do you know that you are clean and right with God? The amazing good news is that we don't have to jump through umpteen hoops or have a theology degree or Uh, have performed perfectly in order to be right with God because God in his grace and mercy knows that all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God and therefore he sent his son to die in our place that we might be forgiven. Explaining this to King Agrippa, the Apostle Paul said uh, that he had been sent to the Gentiles with this good news to turn them from darkness to light And from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are made holy by faith in Christ. That's what God gives us. And uh, another apostle, Peter, writes it explaining with reference to the Jewish scriptures uh, in Isaiah 53. He says, of Christ He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. It's not that we need to get beaten up in order to get clean, but God sent Christ to be literally beaten and killed 
placed in a grave that we might be free. I wonder, do you know, do you know that you are clean and right with God? It's not about what you did yesterday or even this morning. It's about what Jesus did 2,000 years ago that gives a cast iron guarantee. You might not understand all the depths of that and wonder how it works. But like an electric light switch can be turned on by a toddler, you don't need to know how it all works, but you can, you can receive it. So I'd like to invite you to just place your hand over your heart again. And I want to pray this time about this cleanliness, what the Bible describes as righteousness, being right with God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave yourself, you submitted yourself to death for us, and you, bore out, you took up our sins You allowed sin to be placed upon you, took on the likeness of sinful flesh, that all of our crud could be taken away. Lord, for that, we will never cease to thank you. I pray for brothers and sisters here who do not know properly how clean you will make them and have made them. Um, I pray for anyone who's never received this wonderful salvation, Lord, that you would enable them to receive it in Jesus' name. And may we all leave this place this morning uh, with a lightness in our spirits, but a lightness that comes from knowing that we've been made right. No drooping shoulders and head held low in shame but head held high as children of the living God by grace through faith we pray that in Jesus name Amen we're nearly done with these few verses but there's one more thing to draw attention to May he strengthen your heart so that you may be blameless and holy in the presence of God our Father and when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Paul prays specifically about this transformation, that it's not just something to experience sort of by ourselves, but in front of God and in the presence of Christ. The two words that are used here um, that are translated in the NIV in the presence of God and when our Lord Jesus comes um, the, the phrase in the presence of God is more literally just in front of God, before him, like face to face with him. In that place, may you know blamelessness and holiness. The word that, where it's translated when our Lord Jesus comes, actually that's where in the Greek we find the word parousia. And the word parousia was used in the ancient world to describe presence. This just requires a little bit of explanation because what it might more literally be translated as, and there's nothing wrong with the NIV translation, as you'll see in a moment. I'm not pretending to know more. But it might more literally be translated before our God and Father and in the presence of our Lord Jesus. That's what it more literally says because that word parousia means uh, in the presence of someone. But by the first century, that word Parousia had taken on a, a specific meaning amongst the wider meaning of being in someone's presence. It had taken on a specific meaning and it was used to describe a royal visit. So we've heard a bit about Tyndale um, this morning. One thing that happened for the children in year three at that school in the summer was they went down to Broad Street because the King and Queen of Spain were visiting. And they were invited to come and be a welcoming party just outside part of the Bodleian Library there. So it would be accurate to say that when those children were on Broad Street, they experienced the parousia of the King of Spain. They were in his presence, but it was a visitation, a royal visitation. The King of Spain live in Oxford. And the Queen of Spain, too, live in Oxford, not as is so often. You might have seen the King of Spain in the news the last week. There's trouble in Spain, isn't there? We should pray for them. The King of Spain, live in Oxford, not brought to us for once by the wonder 
of modern telephony, but live in Oxford. So Paul writes of the parousia of Jesus, no longer simply brought to us by the wonder of the Holy Spirit, but live. His coming live to earth. Jesus live on the earth. His visitation. And this coming, you know what? It's coming. The second coming is, 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 is coming. Maybe in our lifetime. Uh, maybe today. You can see why Paul prays that they'd be ready. Because it's coming. And we see between verse 9 and 13, as Paul talks about his thanking God and his praying, there's a movement that goes on in his praying. He first of all thanks God for the past. Verse 9, he says, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have? He looks backwards, first of all, in his praying. And then he prays for the moment, for getting to Thessaloniki and their hearts and their love. But he finishes his prayer looking to the future. There's a a past and a present and a future in his praying. And I wonder how often our praying covers all of those time zones. It seems to me that many of us know it's good to start our praying with thanksgiving. I know this because I pray often with a whole number of you in different settings. And I know that we very often start off, as is good, are praying by saying, well, Lord, thank you. Thank you you're here with us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you fill us. Thank you for that person that got healed last week. Whatever it is, we very often start our praying with thanksgiving and then move on to all the things we want to pray for in the here and now. Um, We don't so often look to that future that is beyond this, this life and pray with an eye on our readiness for when Jesus comes again. But Paul does. Paul prays for that day that's coming. Why? Well, because that day, that's the focus of all of our longings and desires. You know, there is so much that is in us by way of desire and vision and expectation, and a whole load of it is only going to be fulfilled on that day. You know, we read the letter um, to the Hebrews in chapter 11, this great story of, of faith. There we are, the future. Story of faith. And um, I don't know whether you've noticed, there's this encouragement to believe God, for nations to be changed, and for the dead to be raised, and amazing faith described. But they all died with faith for things as yet unrealized. The example is a people who exercised extraordinary trust in God and who died with stuff still not done. That's the Christian ideal. It's not like God downloads into you a kind of storehouse of vision that you gradually see fulfilled all the way through your life and then on your deathbed say, oh good, all done. That's not the Christian ideal. The Christian ideal is to lie on your deathbed saying, Oh God, there's so much more. The whole of this life is lived out with an urging and a longing that God has put in our hearts for more than is still to come that keeps us praying to the very last in our last breath. Say, God, there's more. Do more in the earth. That's this life. We'll die having seen so much of what God has to do, but still unsatisfied until we start to see eternity opening up. And there's some wonderful stories of Christians dying with a dawning vision of what is to come. There is an eternity in which those longings are fully satisfied. When there are no more tears, they're wiped away. There's no more death. There's no more sin. It's all purity and goodness. And everything is restored. And Paul knows that. Because I'm interested in that day because everything is going to be mixed and of complicated 
stuff in life, the ups and the downs, and the healings and the sickness, and the salvation and the rebellion, until that day. I'm interested in that day. He says, are you ready for that day? I'm going to pray for you, that you'll be ready for that day, because it matters so much. There was a man called Bernard, who, who led an abbey in Clairvaux in northern France about a thousand years ago. I'm going to close by reading some of his words about this. And then we're going to sing a song together. So the band might like to come up even as I'm reading this. We're going to sing a song together as a response to this last point about our longings being met in Christ for all eternity. Um, the, that day, Jesus' coming, is described as a wedding day. It's a wedding day. There's a wedding feast. And uh, I want to suggest to you that we should be longing for that day in the way that a young man is eager for his wedding night. Not just, see, there's, there's a level of desire that you might have for the lunch that's provided on a wedding day. It might be a really good lunch, and you might look forward to it. But it probably doesn't govern your thinking for months and weeks. But I've spoken to a number of young, maybe young women experience exactly the same thing, but they don't talk to me about it. So I'm just going to speak about young men who I have spoken to about what they're expecting. Um, they're excited about the ceremony. They may have some passing thought about the meal, but they're looking forward to the night. Just saying. There's a wedding. And the wedding ends in marital bliss. Those of you that are married in a while going, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but that's the vision. A place where what is not just superficial desire for a good meal. Good, well, Jesus gives us food and wine. Great. But there is a bride and there is a bridegroom. Let me read from Bernard of Clairvaux. He says, We will be present at the wedding feast of the Lord, eating and drinking at his table in the kingdom, when he takes his church to him in glory, without blemish or wrinkle or any defect. Then he will intoxicate his dearest ones with the torrent of his delight. For in the most passionate and most chaste embrace of bridegroom and bride, the rush of the river that makes glad the city of God. Here is fullness without bloating insatiable curiosity that is not restless, an eternal and endless desire that knows no lack, and that sober intoxication that does not come from drinking too much, but a burning for God. Let's look forward to that day, and let's sing of the one who makes that day worthwhile.